From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, September 13th. The first annual Red Sand Powwow was held over the weekend at Moab's Old Spanish Trail Arena grounds. This event brought indigenous dancers, regalia, and community to our valley over two days. So we really wanted to do something for a town, city, um, county in Utah. We just didn't know exactly where. Jacob Crane, executive director of SLC Air Protectors. The indigenous-led nonprofit organized the Red Sand Powwow with the support of their partner groups, including Moab's Full Circle Intertribal Center. He says when they were looking for a town in Utah to bring a powwow to, they asked, Where could we go that hasn't had a powwow before? And so I, me being a powwow goer and a longtime dancer and singer, I thought, what the heck? Moab hasn't had a powwow in like 20 years. Let's let's do let let's let's see if we can do something in Moab. Powwows are social gatherings that feature traditional indigenous dancing. Crane explains that they're different from ceremonial dances because they are performed in public rather than for ceremony. However, by creating community, the Red Sand Powwow was still meant to have a healing effect. That was one of the things that we, we really wanted to spotlight is, you know, strengthening community, building relationships with indigenous folks and our allies within Moab, but also just bringing that value, you know, that cultural value to Moab so that folks can see firsthand what it's like to be in the life of an indigenous person and that dance through song and really healing together, because that's really what uh, a powwow is. There were many categories of dance featured in this weekend's powwow. Men's grass dance, women's shawl dance, and the jingle dress dance. So the Ojibwe jingle dress started back in 1918 with the Spanish influenza pandemic. Dancer Dion Tapahi. She's one member of a four-woman group who make up the jingle dress project. During the current pandemic, the women have brought the jingle dress dance across the country. Their goal is to heal communities and the land. Deanne points out many parallels between the COVID-19 pandemic and the influenza that swept the nation 100 years ago. Um, So back then, when the pandemic hit America, it hit the native tribes really hard as well. And so the Millax Band of Ojibwe were the ones who, who originated the jingle dress. And it also started as a dream. Um, So a father had a daughter who was sick with Spanish influenza. And she was sick and her her dad had a dream about how to heal her and it was to make um, jingle dresses. And he saw the jingle dress in a dream, which the next day he was able to have his um, wife make four dresses to have four of the women in in their tribe be able to dance. And by the end of the night when they were dancing, um, the girl, the daughter was healed as well. And so it's it's kind of been in a roundabout way of, of healing during pandemics. And so that originated almost 100 years ago. So it's been a fairly recent dance done and it has evolved into a contemporary dance, um, which is done like at powwows, but they are still used for ceremony dances as well. And we are old style dancers. And so when we go out, we have a specific prayer song that we dance to, to heal the people that we are near and to heal the land. 
now we're over a year and we've traveled to both west and east coast and we've traveled all over in between so it's definitely been a big blessing. Erin Tapahi, jingle dress dancer and sister of Dion. She says like the creation of the dance itself, the jingle dress project was also started by a father's dream, theirs. So in his dream, he had a dream that we were all in Yellowstone and there was lots of um, jingle dress dancers and we were, they were dancing among the bison. And so when his dream, when he woke up, he had this overwhelming feeling that he just needed to make this happen. All right, we got our women's jingle dress all set to go. Peace There's on. been a lot of anxiety and fear throughout the past year. And the jingle dress dance has been one way to bring comfort to communities. They say each jingle on every dress represents one prayer. These metal jingles are counted in the hundreds. You can find photos and video of the Red Sand Powwow that was held in Moab over the weekend by searching the hashtag Red Sand Powwow 2021. As the Great Salt Lake continues to decline, not only is wildlife being impacted across the lake, but across the region. Amy Van Tatenhove with our partners at Utah Public Radio has the story. The size of the Great Salt Lake is measured by height above sea level. The record height of the lake was just over 4,211 feet in the 1980s. But as of late August this year, the lake is estimated to have dropped to around 4,190 feet. This is a decrease of about 20 feet, making the surface area of this shallow Great Salt Lake 44% smaller than it was in the 80s. So, what does it mean for wildlife as the lake gets smaller and saltier? Over 330 different species of birds use the lake and surrounding habitat for migration stopover points and for breeding. The Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge alone sees 250 different species passing through by the millions each year. Cooper Farr is the Director of Conservation at Tracy Aviary, a nonprofit focused on avian conservation and outreach around the Great Salt Lake. Over 75% of Utah's wetlands are actually located within the Great Salt Lake ecosystem, so they're in this area that is surrounding the lake in this area where the fresh water comes and meets the salt water. And wetlands are really, really important for birds, especially as breeding areas for birds. So as water decreases and you get a loss of some of these wetlands, um, it really impacts the birds that are relying on these areas to nest and to feed and to live throughout the year. According to FAR, decreasing water levels can lead to a myriad of issues, including less food for wetland birds. Less food means fewer nestlings will hatch, and the ones that do are less likely to survive. For migratory birds needing a boost in calories for their long journeys, a decrease in food can lead to mass die-off events. So lower water levels could concentrate birds in these areas and these kind of remaining patches of wetlands, and so get them really close together. That can also spread diseases. When it comes to disease, crowding isn't the only concern. As water levels decrease, water temperature increases, causing bacteria to grow and allowing diseases like avian botulism to thrive. Farr also emphasized the fact that low water levels aren't just a problem in Utah. The mega drought we are experiencing is widespread across the western U.S. So, even though birds can fly to other areas, there aren't suitable areas to go to. So many of these saline lakes, particularly in the west, are all being impacted. And, you know, we're seeing lower water levels in all of those. And in some cases, the birds that we have at Great Salt Lake now are there because their habitat in other places has already been lost. Rich Hansen, the manager at the Ogden Bay State Waterfowl Management Area, expressed a similar fear. Well, 
it's just really scary with the Great Salt Lake reaching an all-time historic low this year. Uh, we have millions of ducks that migrate through Utah, and the Great Salt Lake is a very important part of that. So I'm afraid that, you know, a couple million birds might come and see that Bear River Bay is dry, Willard Spur is dry, Farmington Bay is dry, and they might continue on to California, find it's dry too. Water levels are liable to impact fishing as well. The Weber and Bear Rivers, which feed into the Great Salt Lake, have been significantly lower than averages here, leaving fishing holes dry. Farther upstream, tributaries to these rivers have been lower as well, threatening areas where fly fishers snag trout. In response to extremely low water levels, the Division of Wildlife Resources increased angler bag limits twice this summer, anticipating dive events as fish are concentrated in shallower and warmer bodies of water as the drought continues. Both state and federal lands have seen impacts from the drought. Aaron Holmes of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the project manager at the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge Complex says they've struggled with water levels this year. With evaporation happening quickly, Holmes believes water shortages have impacted wildlife on their property. In my opinion, the drought has impacted other wildlife, and it could be from everything from invertebrates uh, that live in the mudflats and the shallow waters to uh, other wildlife. We've also have noticed more deer at the refuge, and I think they're trying to find the water. I'm Amy Van Tatenhove. That report comes from our partners at UPR, and that's the KZMU News for Monday, September 13th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.